This is Writers Not Writing, the show where you can get to know your favorite writers and soon-to-be favorite writers by listening to them confess to the ways they procrastinate. Thanks for procrastinating with us. I'm Benjamin Gorman, and the quiet guy behind the glass there is Doug the producer. I write novels and collections of poetry and stuff. Doug tries his best to make me sound better. And each week we have a secret word to listen for. If you catch it, you earn the right to take an extra break at the time of your choosing from whatever is stressing you out. From Not A Pipe Publishing, welcome to Writers Not Writing. Welcome, everybody. We have a special episode today uh, in that instead of sitting down with one author and uh, getting to know them a little bit, uh, we are going to have an episode where you get to join us in a room full of authors uh, Kate Ristow and I had our joint launch party for a pair of novels, uh, Her Shadow and Shimmer, which is the third part of her Shadow Girls saga. And I had the second in my uh, The Convention of Fiends series, You Were Warned, uh, both come out within a week of one another. And so we got to have a party together at the Rose City Book Pub, thanks to the folks there for hosting us. And it was a lot of fun, and there were lots of uh, authors, readers, family. It was it was just a really wonderful time. So um, we not only will have some readings you'll get to hear, but we also did Mad Libs with those readings. We wore costumes, of course. This is Writers Not Writing. You know we love costumes. Uh, you'll get to see Kate riffing to buy time for me to try and complete my Mad Lib, uh, which is not Kate's favorite thing to do, but she did a marvelous job of that. Uh, and uh, we even get guests sharing their thoughts on taco toppings, and now that I reflect on it later, um, that's the wrong term. Uh, you know, the, the, the cheese and meat and tomatoes and lettuce are not toppings. They don't go on top of the taco. They are the innards, right? They are, they are the, the taco guts. Um, and you can tell that my writing has been verging from science fiction and fantasy more towards horror and less towards uh, like recipe uh, writing because taco guts does not sound in any way appetizing but i mean if you think about it like no one would say peanut butter and jelly are the toppings on a peanut butter and jelly sandwich they are they are the, the peanut butter they're the they're the guts of the sandwich um uh so this, none of this has anything to do with anything uh but uh i do need to tell you today's secret phrases and i can't decide which will be the secret phrase uh it's either santa claus centaurs or uh, tacoing your dusting burrito. So if you hear either of those phrases during this show, you know, count that for yourself. You That's your achievement. You get to take an extra break this next week. Enjoy. Thank you all for being here. One of the things that we wanted to make sure to do, uh, we've got, you've got your beverages, you've got your food, but uh, Crystal is going to come around now with the camera, and if you would share with her, if you feel comfortable doing so, your blurbs, we're going to do a little super cut of those and post that, so if you feel comfortable sharing those. And if you can't think of a blurb, just share with her your taco toppings that you prefer. Uh -huh. 
I think some people don't really think very intentionally about their taco toppings. Um, like if you throw the lettuce on at the end, it's just all gonna. So, so I think more than toppings, the order of the standard toppings is more important. Like lettuce, cheese. Throw the beans, the refried beans should go on at the end. Uh, then it holds everything together. You're in the middle of this video. So, so tell us more about your favorite taco toppings. What? <laughs> favorite tacos are Oh, taco toppings. I like cilantro. Because it doesn't taste like soap to me. John, does yeah. it taste like soap to you? No, not me. I love cilantro. For me, uh, the true measure of a taco is its size. You see, I grew up in Tucson, Arizona, American Southwest, and when you're that close to Mexico, you get really used to street tacos. Tiny little things, beautiful little things, with the least amount of ingredients as possible. That's how you know it's good, all right? You put too much on there, you get overwhelmed, you have a midlife crisis in the middle of your meal. It's not good for anybody. Can you show me, like, the, the right size of a taco? Yeah, just about that big right there. Throughout time, there have been amazing pairings. Uh, McCartney and Lennon, uh, Jordan and Pippin, uh, Apostle Peter and St. Paul, and honestly, uh, each and every one has been dirty dishwater compared to the pairing that is Kate Rissow and Benjamin Gorman by their book. Ready? Yes. Shadow and Shimmer is the iconoclastic blockbuster tale of the century by Kate Risto, the Jane Austen of the 21st century by Catherine Weaver, world famous author. Kate is the sacred leader of all creatures magical. In her latest, greatest book, she's memorialized all of her fictional experiences in the realm of magic and magic. Hey, this is Kate and Floyd, and we're just checking over with Kathleen and Curtis to see what their interest in tacos is. Like, what kind of taco toppings do you prefer? And like, how do you enjoy your tacos? And is there anything else that you want to say about tacos? We'll move it first to Kathleen. Shrimp. Whatever Curtis is going to say is completely wrong. If it's not shrimp, it's nothing. It's garbage. You know, Kathleen, some people are allergic to shellfish. They could die if they eat shrimp. Very insensitive. Especially being a board member of the Lama Riders, an Oregon 501 nonprofit organization. I don't know if this is a public case. You can stuff whatever you want because you can't see your mouth anyway. So, what I'm hearing you say, Curtis, is don't be shellfish. <laughs> Shadow and Shimmer, and yes, you're walking into book three. Enjoy. I'm not going to give you any more. 
more than that. So <laughs> this is Hennessy's chapter, though. And yes, she's named after the liquor. <laughs> the dragon could be quiet when it needed to be. Even now, in total darkness, Hennessy could not hear it. She could only feel the shadows flecked around the massive beast, its scales shifting in and out with each silent breath. No sound crossed the hillside. The dragon was all darkness and death. Coil wound tight, waiting to strike. Until it licked her face. Rico, she whispered, lowering to the ground. His sloppy tongue would draw the shadow spawn's anger, their wildness, and their terrible claws. Come on. She cloaked her voice in shadows, waving away the dragon, sending him back to the hunt. Rico whined softly, nudged her with his cold, wet nose, then faded into the darkness. Quiet. That was what she needed. Total silence. Even a breath would give her away. She slunk down lower and lower until nothing remained but the rise and fall of her chest, hidden by the rocks around her, still and silent, waiting. Honestly, it was probably already over. No matter how many times she hunted them, they always ended up hunting her. Already she could hear the shadow song just beyond the ridge. They were like a herd of cattle stampeding toward her. Or mutant football players? Or a child drawing of rabid monsters half-imagined and respawned in the darkness before they formed into pure nightmares. Had they caught her scent? Heard the sound of her voice scraping against the rocks? Or maybe the drip of Rigo's tongue? It didn't matter what brought them. They were coming. She went into uh, fairy hell, um, but she's kind of a millennial in fairy hell, so she's fine. She's <laughs> kind of like the, you know every day in the pandemic, um, except sometimes you don't have Wi-Fi. <laughs> so, in the world of making this significantly better, we are starting out with a noun. Somebody give me a noun. Pizza. Pizza. Somebody give me an adjective. Okay, somebody give me a better pen. <laughs> you Were Warned is the groundbreaking book that reveals everything you were never told. You need this book. Catherine Weaver, world famous author. In his latest novel, the shy Ben Gorman recounts his real life tales of his early years hanging out with vampires and high school students. Now, in the state of things, I am in no way capable of taking what you wrote and immediately putting into this Mad Lib, so instead, I'm going to say, hey, Ben, Do the same thing. I'm going to read a passage. The line is from, so this is from book two, so it's even harder to figure out what's going on in the story. It's smacked out in the middle of book two. And these are not significant characters. These are two guards who just have a conversation. So you can still read the book, and I haven't spoiled it. <laughs> One of the characters, Bob, is very tall. And when he talks to uh, the other guard, Augie, he tends to lean over and kind of whisper to him. They're uh, over a thousand years old and, and vampires, and one of them is recently discovered on YouTube. I saw this interesting video. Yeah? Are you asked? I mean, I know there's a lot out there that's not accurate, but this one's got me thinking. What was this one about? 
Burger. Augie risked a short luck up at Bob. What about them? They aren't real. <laughs> what do you mean? They used to be real. There were birds. No one disputes that. But then, at some point, the government replaced them all with drones. Now they watch us all the time. The F? Augie asked. Bob nodded. I mean, it might not be true, but it makes you think. Maybe there are no birds. It makes you think, huh? Yeah, Bob said. Bob, you know that's BS, right? We're effing vampires. We can see better than the humans. We can hear better. Heck, we can effing smell the birds. Have you ever seen a bird and smelled a drone? Heard any little whirring and clicking gears? No, but that's the part that the video said. They're really advanced technology, indistinguishable from the real thing. Why would the government have to make them so indistinguishable vampires can't even tell the difference? Did the video explain that? Well, the maker was human, probably doesn't know we exist. Right, we've talked about this, Bob. You are already a part of a conspiracy. You know you don't have to fear the government because you know the convention already has their tendrils. Augie wriggled his fingers like he was feeling around in mud for hidden worms or reading the guts of a pigeon to see the future. All throughout the human government to keep us secret. So we know what they know. And they don't know half as much as humans think they do. Not just about us. They don't even know as much about humans as, say, Facebook and Google and heck, your precious YouTube know about humans. If we can keep them all from knowing about us, don't you think we'd know if they replaced all the birds in the world? Maybe the convention's in on it. <laughs> in on what? Maybe the convention knows they replaced all the birds to watch the humans and we let them because it just gives us a better way to watch the humans, too. Argy frowned. Okay, sure, but like, all the birds, Bob? I, I don't know, maybe, or maybe most? Probably most. Why so many? Like, why do they need to watch all the humans all the time from the power lines? They gotta be listening all the time to hear when people start seeing through the BS. Is this back to the world being flat, Bob? Or the moon landing being fake? Or the Holocaust not being real? Bob shrugged. A lot of stuff is lies, man. GD, Bob, Augie grumbled. You've traveled around the world lots of times. You know the Holocaust was real. We were effing there. You know my opinion on the world being round. Maybe it is, or maybe just traveled around the edge like a flat disc. I've never flown over Antarctica. And sure, we saw a lot of the stuff the Nazis did with our own eyes, but not all of it. And have you ever gone to the moon, Augie? I'm just saying it's good to be skeptical. Why? Huh? Seriously, why? What's the point of believing the world is flat and the Holocaust and the moon landing didn't happen and there are no more effing birds, Bob? Like, what does that get you? So you don't get tricked by the government. You see through their lies. But you're a vampire, Bob. You think the government is trying to trick you? We're trying to trick everybody. Why? So we don't know who's really in control. Yeah, but Bob, we know who's really in control. The conspiracy is us, man. We don't need to trick ourselves into thinking the world is round just so we can travel all over the globe, a globe run by monsters. How does any of it explain that helps you at all, Bob? Bob nodded for a while. I guess it's the thing you said, he admitted. That it makes you feel smarter than other people. Bob slumped a little. Yeah, it's probably that a little. But, Bob, you're smarter already. You know about the convention. You're a vampire, Bob. The humans don't know we exist. You don't need to know human BS conspiracy theories. You're the smart one. Yeah, Bob sounded unsatisfied. <laughs> the two men stood in silence for a moment. Somebody should make a YouTube video about how the convention is secretly controlling everything. <laughs> no, Augie said, shaking his head. No, they shouldn't. <laughs> Why not? Because then we'd have to kill them and anyone who watched their video, Bob, we're the ones keeping the secret, remember? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> Thank you.
some words. This one is You Were Warned. It's the sequel to Don't Read This Book. And uh, I'm very excited for you all to learn the title of the third, which will come out sooner in relation to the second than the first did in relation to the second, I promise. Uh, Karen Eisenberg, one of my authors, or one of my editors, was like, you are not going to make us wait four years for the next one. I promise, will not be four years between Don't Read This Book and You Were Warned. So the first word I need, I need a silly name. Perfect. Ready for another one? Me. And now for Pizza and Fuzzy. The unicorn could be quiet when it needed to be. Even now, in total darkness, Tennessee could not hear it. She could only feel the rocks flex around the massive beast. I'm going to replace that and just say the rock. So she can only feel the rock flex around the massive beast. Its scales shifting in and out with each silent breath. No sound crossed the hillside. Unicorn was all darkness and death, like a good unicorn. Royal <laughs> tight, waiting to pontificate. Until it jumped her face. <laughs> Um, 
she puts up with my garbage and whatever else. She never knows what she's going to get. Um, somebody who's sitting right next to her has put up with my garbage longer, and that is my dad. And so Kathleen, uh, so Kathleen Colvin and her husband Floyd, Kathleen was um, talking to uh, Grammy, Bob's mom. Pumping her for information. Pumping her for information. Um, Anything that Bob's mom or my dad says is not true unless it's amazing about... uh, How to protect your own. Unless it makes you feel good, but it's all true. Uh, We also have Armin Tolentino over in the corner. Um, If there's any other poets in here, I'm sorry, but Armin is my favorite. Total truth. All right, and Ben, how are you doing over there? About halfway. Can I ask a question, Kate? You totally can. This is book number three. Can you tell us what it was like writing one, two, and three? Was was one easier than the other? Was one harder? Um, Okay, so the thing I'm not supposed to say in front of my publisher is I don't think one's as good as two. Um, So what? When I wrote one, um, I, I it was one is the story of like Anya coming to understand herself and understand where she lives in the world and who she is. And then um, book two is just a lot more fun. Um, because what happened in book one is everyone said, I really like that character, Hennessy. Can we have more of her? And so in book two, we split into those two POVs. So you get Hennessy and you get Anya. Um, and then book three, I'll tell you for real, um, the big plot spoilers. I thought that book three was going to be into three POVs with like Anya, Hennessy, and her sister Kiva. But in that world of revising things, I started to write Kiva, and it really wasn't working. Um, and I blame the pandemic, <laughs> which isn't easy blame. Um, and so it ended up pulling back in and just focusing on Anya's, and Anya and Hennessy's relationship, which was totally like the best way to do it, and it made sense ultimately. But when I'm writing it, I was like, come on, write better. <laughs> which I think like you all can understand if you're writers. Like, you have that like, constant refrain in your head of like, I could probably do this thing. Maybe is it gonna? So while we're waiting, one more moment. Um, this is a good time for y'all to awkwardly look over at Curtis Chen. Hey, Curtis, how's it going? Um, half of Curtis is texting me our eye rolls because I do jump like this to him all the time. <laughs> um, Curtis, like almost came in uh, in gothic mode. See. <laughs> So, in our in our last thing, I want one more um, adjective from you all. So, give me one more adjective. Curse. So, I'm going to write that one down. We're going to use it later. Curse. In that, I, this actually doesn't work. <laughs> so, when I taught uh, college students, one of the things that I would do was whenever a pen didn't work, I would throw it across the room, and they thought it was the funniest thing. Like. Um, Let's save this one and throw it at a really opportune moment. Not an opportune, but an opportune one. Um, so this book series in general, like the final things I'll say about it. Ben Gorman. I started out with uh, wanting to write this series and exploring this character. And I think over the course of the series, I learned a lot more about myself and a lot more about the type of books I wanted to write. Um, and when I originally started the series, it was the story of Anya, and Anya was learning more about herself and becoming who she was. Um, and the first draft had a prince. If anyone has read this book now, there's no prince. Um, as I was writing, somebody said, 
you know, like you write this book where Anya is a fairy and she comes over into our world, right? And then um, she never actually meets anyone in our world. Yeah. Like she's just meeting a bunch of fairies. Like, yeah. have you thought about like putting somebody like human in there? And I was like, oh, that's a really good point. I should totally do that. <laughs> so then I wrote uh, I wrote Hennessy into the story, and Anya meets Hennessy, and Hennessy is like this uh, just amazing, vibrant, like really full of life character. And like as I was writing her, like the prince was kind of like moving more and more in the background. Um, and I realized that like I, I was starting to like Anya and Hennessy together more and more. And I was like, they should be together. Like, why do we have the? Do we even need this prince? <laughs> and so you just see the prince. Oh, he get pushed off the page. Sorry, he exists somewhere in somebody's mind. Not in mine anymore. Sorry. Um, so that idea of uh, both writing what's important to you and what matters, like, and writing the, writing the real story and thinking about like what would, what kind of stories do you actually want to see out in the world, um, and who I was and who I am changed as I was writing the story. And so I think where it ultimately ended up, it got a happy, happy ever after because I'm a happy ever after type of person. If you haven't figured that out yet, um, but it also got the story that I like wanted to write. So. Last things. Well, Ben writes his last words. I'm Ben Gorman. You just actually. long words. You all use long words. Wagga woo works multiple times. <laughs> So Ben and I met at a Walmart Writers event in Salem, I think, originally. Um, and then we like did some social media stuff with Walmart Writers. Uh, and the, the funny thing is, is that Ben and I were both at like the similar points in our careers, um, where we were just starting to publish books, just thinking about writing and getting our own stories out in the world. And my first book actually got published through a different publisher. And oh my gosh, like this cursed word, like that first book was cursed because like, uh, less than 30 days before it was published, they had printed all the copies, and then the small press went under. So then I got all the, they let me buy all the books, um, and so I bought all the books, and then I suddenly became an indie author, um, and then I brought it over to another small press, and I was like, sweet, so, um, now I'm getting this book published by another small press, and then that other small press didn't pay me. <laughs> and so then, um, with Leanne It was not us. Yeah, not you. Uh, with Leanne McLennan, like, we both brought our books over to Ben, and he had opened up a non publishing at that point. Um, and that's that's the perfect place for it. Like, it's it's both, like, the community of authors and, like, working with Ben and working with Crystal. Crystal's awesome. If you haven't met Crystal yet, I had to make sure I talked in the mic on that one, Crystal. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if you uh, check out Crystal's costume later, Crystal is uh, Ben and my biggest fan. Um, and so there's parts of Ben's books and parts of my books that Crystal made. Um, so yeah. So, final point. Can we see it? Yeah, can we see it? Can we see it? Oh. Can we see your costume? I, I, I can't sit in the chair when it's
Hashtag also Ben. I like that. Hashtag also Ben. Just as an afterthought. I like that. Okay, I do finally understand. The best portion. Benjamin frowned. Okay, sure, but like all the Moonlander trouble still skin? <laughs> I, I don't know, maybe or most, probably most. Why so many? So, like, why do they need to watch all the scorpions all the time from power lines? They gotta be listening all the time to hear when people start seeing through the BS. Is this back to the world being putrescent, trouble still skin? Waterloo being fake? Woodstock not being real? Trouble still skin shrugged. All this stuff is lies, man. <laughs> Grumble Stiltskin, Benjamin Grumble, you've traveled around the world lots of times. You know Woodstock was real. We were at Waterloo. We were there. You know my opinion of the world being round. Maybe it is. Maybe we've just traveled around the edge of this putrescent disk. I've never flown over Antarctica. And maybe we saw a lot of Woodstock with our own eyes, but not all of it. And have you ever gone to Waterloo, Benjamin? I'm just saying. It's good to be skeptical. Why? Huh? Seriously, why? What's the point of believing maybe the world is putrescent and Woodstock and Waterloo didn't happen and there are no more web-warfing moonlanders? Like, what does that get you? So you don't get tricked by the murder. You see through their lies. But you're a gaggle, Rumpelstiltskin. You think the murderer is trying to trick you? They're trying to trick everybody. Why? We don't know who's really in control. Yeah, but Rumble Stiltskin, we know who's really in control. The conspiracy is us, man. We didn't trick ourselves into thinking the world is putrescent just to travel all over the globe run by monsters. What does any of it help you, Rumble Stiltskin? Rumble Stiltskin nodded for a while. I guess that is that thing you said, he admitted. And it makes you feel smarter than other people. Rumble Stiltskin slumped a little. Yeah, it's probably that a little bit. But Rumble Stiltskin, you're smarter already. You know about the convention. You're a GD gaggle, Rumble Stiltskin. The scorpions. Don't know we exist. You don't need to know Scorpion BS conspiracy theories. Somebody should make a video about that because then we'd have to kill them and anybody who watched their burritoing video. <laughs> We're the ones keeping the secret, remember? Oh, that's a good point. Benjamin looked at Rubble Stilton. Crystal is tacoing your dusting burritoing. <laughs>